Welcome to the Herd Mentality Podcast, an eclectic weekly mix of atheistic and humanistic conversations with complete strangers. I've never met them and they've never met me, but we're throwing caution to the wind, taking a risk with a dodgy internet connection, and God willing, get an interesting conversation for you to listen to. I'm your host, Adam Reeks, and it's time to meet our guests. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Herd Mentality. With me today, I have at Elijah T, E-L-I-J-I-A-H-T, and at Tyler McNabb, spelt as it sounds. Uh, hi, Elijah. How are you? Where are you from? Hey, good. I'm um, I'm from Buffalo, New York. Well, really close to Niagara Falls, actually. I'm about five, five minutes away, driving distance away from Niagara Falls. I've pretty much been here my whole life. Except for one little stint in Virginia, but we won't talk about that. That was only for a, only for a year. So I've been here pretty much my whole life. Okay, the Niagara Falls. That's that's on my wish list. Yeah, actually, uh, I used to work at a fast food place called Tim Hortons, and uh, this group came in from I think it was Ohio, and I was standing behind making them bagels and stuff. And I asked them, "Oh, you guys came in uh, from Ohio for what do you what are you here for?" They're like Niagara Falls, and to me, Niagara Falls is just a city. <laughs> and so I'm like, "Oh, really? What's in Niagara Falls?" And they looked at me really weird. Niagara Falls. I'm like, oh, yeah, the waterfall, you know, wonder of the world, all that good stuff. Forgot about that. Well, have fun with that one. <laughs> so it's it's basically like my backyard at this point. I mean, I've seen it so many times that, I mean, it's still awesome, but yeah. it's, it's yeah. kind of old news. Yeah, cool. Tyler, what's your story? Uh, yes, I'm from the great country of Texas, but that <laughs> indeed is about to change. And a little over a week, I'll be... Uh, doing a PhD with the University of Glasgow in Scotland. Oh, wow. Which uh, topic are you studying? Uh, it's in philosophy, and, and the, the dissertation research topic is in defending and applying Alvin Plantinga's view of warrant. Oh, can you explain that? Sure. So warrant is that ingredient that separates mere true belief from knowledge, and so there are different kind of arguments or, or views for what are those conditions uh, that need to be in place, and Plantinga argues essentially that one needs properly functioning cognitive faculties aimed at truth, uh, the right epistemic environment that faculties were designed for, and that you know, high p- probability of, of producing true beliefs. And, and so I'll just be defending that view and then applying it to different world religions to see uh, if they can account for that particular oh, view of warrant. Cool. So obviously you guys are both theists, and then I've been looking forward to having right. some theists on. You, you're the second bat. You very generously gave your time to come on the, the show so the four people listening can enjoy hearing a little bit about science versus God. <laughs> Hello, four people. <laughs> so science versus God, this is a topic that's been done to death over the years. What different way can we approach it? Elijah? Well, actually, I was in kind of preparation for this, like just reading a couple of things and figuring out where would be the best place, I think, for me to start was there's a uh, an atheist philosopher named Bradley Martin. I don't know if, you, if you've heard of him, know of him. No. Um, he... He's a, I forget where he teaches out of, but he, he wrote a book called Seeking God in Science. Uh, and the, the subtitle of the book is An Atheist Defends Intelligent Design. And uh, right at the very beginning of the book, it says this book is not providing a full-fledged endorsement of intelligent design. So Because, you know, an atheist fully embracing intelligent design would be a little bit strange. But he does, throughout the book, kind of analyze different arguments for intelligent design, for the existence of God, and things like that. He, he The purpose of the book, it's actually a relatively short book, the purpose of it is to basically make it so that he's actually addressing the arguments rather than just kind of dismissing them and ridiculing them. And the very first paragraph, he kind of puts this science-religion dichotomy. He kind of explains how it's like a false dichotomy. He says intelligent design needs to be more taken more seriously than a lot of his opponents are, w- are willing 
willing to. Uh, thoughtful people receive, perceive the world as an amazing and mysterious place, and this has led two sorts of reactions. One is to postulate that this world is a product of an all-powerful being, while the other is to investigate the details of how the world works to dispel mystery with scientific understanding. While these two reactions are sometimes presented as divergent, they need not be. In principle, while investigating the details of how the world works, we could find evidence for the existence of the creator. So it's, it's sort of like a, why can't we have it's both like filling kind of in, thing? filling in the blanks that we don't understand with God. Well, not necessarily. Actually, I'm kind of glad you brought that up. I think it's a lot of a lot of the misunderstanding that people have of the, of the relationship between the two is to understand God as being a you know substitute for what we don't know. But like you know, way back when there was thunder, and then oh no, we thought the god the gods were bowling, or we, the the gods were angry with us, or something like that. But as soon as you figured out how it works scientifically, then God moves out of that place. But if you, I think if you if you properly understand, I think the role of God as a theist would understand it is not he's not just the I think John Lennox says this he says he's not just the god of the gaps but he's the god of the whole show. You're right, Tyler. Have you got anything else to add? Yeah, I, I'm one who wonders why there is such a debate because I'm not sure how empirical uh, inquiry or uh, scientific inquiry and uh, formulating defeaters for belief in and God or theism in general. Uh, I think perhaps particular doctrines might different uh, scientific theories or postulations, but in general, uh, I think they're very small, the amount of them, and I just don't think that science has much to say to, uh, in regards to um, building defeaters for, for theism. But as time progresses, we're beginning to, as Elijah was saying, point out the things that God currently explains with things that we can explain. There is, to some degree, a necessity uh -huh. for having some science and God in, in order to find out what we can and can't explain. Yeah. Uh, when is it fair to perhaps stop? My kind of approach isn't necessarily that uh, we need God in order to explain particular phenomenon which we experience in the, the cosmos. Rather, my kind of original statement is that I think they, they perhaps can, can communicate to one another, science and religion, but I just don't see how science in general can speak, can formulate different defeaters for uh, religious belief. Okay, what's a religious belief that science can't overcome? It can't or can? Yes, can't. It, it, uh, scientific belief that religion can't overcome? Uh, no, vice versa, the other way around. I'll, I'll, I'll put, on, I'll put on my American accent. <laughs> <laughs> Is there something that science can't explain about religion? <laughs> there we go. Is there something that science can't explain about religion? Is there any way you can rephrase that? I'm having a hard time understanding what you're asking. Is there something that's off limits to science? Ah, okay. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I, I don't think that religion's off limits to science. Uh, mine's more saying that I, I just, I don't see how science could formulate defeaters, at least to a large degree, uh, regarding theism. But there have been defeaters formulated in the past. What, can you give me an example? Okay, let me, let me think. Now, I, I must profess here I'm not an expert sure, on yeah. biblical texts. Yeah. So, okay, entire generations of people grew up believing that Adam and Eve were created by God and populated the earth, and science is since found out that evolution has uh, has negated that argument it's something that couldn't have occurred uh, and uh, perhaps something a little a little simpler sure. is the story of the ark and putting all the animals on the ark mm -hmm. which many people believe could not have happened and again the capacity of the ark wouldn't have been able to support and sustain what is said to have gone on it for the period of time it was at sea and there's also no proof for 
a flood, for example, at the time. So that would be an example of uh, science coming in and perhaps weighing in a little on the on a religious belief. Sure. Yeah. Well, first, I uh, my main contention was and. In- in- theism in general, uh, not necessarily uh, biblical doctrines. So I, I do admit there are a couple of biblical doctrines that could be affected by science. Um, perhaps ex nihilo, you know, the, the universe coming into being at one particular time, not being internal. Perhaps science has something to say to that. Theism in general, though, uh, I'm not so sure uh, that that wouldn't matter, I, I don't think. But uh, in, in regards to the Adam and Eve, if we're going to go ahead and talk about Christian belief in general, or the Judeo-Christian belief in general, I am one who advocates for neo-Darwinian evolution. At the same time, I also advocate for a primitive understanding of the Genesis text and allowing that Adam and Eve were particular individuals. I think that philosophically, we can come up with different models that could completely accommodate scientific models, perhaps that uh, Adam and Eve were two people among many who uh, would represent uh, everyone else and a kind of a a representation model uh, of the rest of the world. Or perhaps we come from Adam and Eve. At one time, God decided to make them in his image, uh, two people among 10,000. And then as time goes and progresses, we all eventually do come from Adam and Eve. So, I, 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 again, I don't see where science much has much to say regarding that. But I, I would argue that science does have something quite substantial to say to that. Elijah, what would you think? Well, um, I was kind of like taking a little bit of notes, I guess, what I wanted to kind of address. I have a, a blog that's it's called Hashtag Apologetics. Uh, it's at WordPress. And I do it with probably, I think, either four or five other authors. And our goal is basically to take conversations that start on Twitter uh, or Facebook. Usually it's Twitter, though, because of the, the, the limitation in how, how many characters you can have. Because, you know, some, mm-hmm. some conversations just you can't really have a substantial, substantial conversation without actually having longer posts than that. I mean, you can always use Twit longer, but this actually works out really well because you can log in with your Twitter handle. But one of the, the posts that's on there that wasn't done by me, it was done by a guy with his, his Twitter handle is Philosogetics, and he has uh, a post called Incorporating Adam and Eve into Evolution. He, um, like Tyler, he they both advocate uh, neo-Darwinian evolution, like that whole, that whole deal. And so he wrote a post basically explaining, I think it was either three or four different ways to interpret that. I think, the, in general, the goal of biblical hermeneutics is to understand how the how the text was originally meant to be understood because it, it was written by Moses like, what, 3,500, 4,000 years ago to a group of people very unlike our own in a completely different culture. And there's a, um, a book that I just got finished reading called In the Beginning We Misunderstood, and it's basically a dissection of the historical and cultural situation that the ancient Israelites found themselves in and why the book of Genesis was written. And he makes the, the authors, I forget who they are, but um, they make a really good case for Genesis being understood as a theological polemic in response to early Egyptian, uh, I think it's called cosmogony. And so it wasn't meant to be understood as, as we would understand it, like reading it from our perspective as a, you know, a direct day by day scientific account of how the universe began. It was more like a, a response to the, uh, the Egyptian like a whole bunch of the Egyptian beliefs that, you know, every single day was uh, the beginning of a new creation and then darkness overcame light and then light overcame darkness and a bunch of different gods. The point of Genesis, according to this book, which I, I think it does a really good job explaining this, is that they, it was meant to put God 
or Yahweh at the center and saying, like, at the beginning, God created the heavens and earth instead of having it just be um, another god or goddess. It's like this god is outside of the heavens and outside of the earth. And so that's what I mean by uh, a theological polemic, like a specific response that wasn't necessarily meant to be understood as a, uh, a scientific or historical thing. Although it does, it's more meant to convey um, like theological truth. But many people interpret it as the literal word. <laughs> well, I think the, I think literal there is a kind of a, uh, a tricky word because when when you understand the word literal, like if you were to take I don't know Edgar Allan Poe's poetry, if you would say I'm I'm taking it literally, you know, some people could could understand the word literally as in I'm taking it every single thing that's supposed to be a metaphor or a simile or whatever else I'm taking it to mean exactly as it as it would mean if there was no such thing but I think that's an improper way of interpreting Edgar Allan Poe and in the same way and I'm not saying that Genesis 1 is poetry but we have to understand how the book was written why it was written and how to properly understand it so if we apply the word literal to Genesis 1 a lot of people are, those are the, the young earth creationists who say that it was definitely God creating in six literal 20 24-hour days, a little bit of a backstory for me is I actually, when I first was introduced to Christianity and this whole apologetic stuff, I was kind of taken taken a little bit by the whole young earth creationism stuff. I was probably a young earther for, I don't know, maybe about two years, maybe, and I switched based on, um, I don't want to say, I don't want to sound like I'm being too much of a jerk because I know a lot of people who are genuine people legitimately trying to understand things who are still young earth creationists, but I've, my goal was to understand how, how Genesis was written and why, how we should understand it now, like what the point of it was for the people who were the original hearers. And based on that, in the book that I, in the beginning we misunderstood, it seems to totally allow for, it's, it's not, basically it's not a scientific text. It's a it's a it's a theological text, and it's in response to something in, very specific. In the yeah, in the context of the time, and it was written by and, and many atheists bandy this term around, and they do it with the intention of it having some extra meaning. Bronze Age goat herders. Right. How can we consider it a reliable text at all? Well, I think that's that's the point that I was trying to make is that we have to understand. What for what reason it was written. So I think trying to interpret it using, without using any method of interpretation, without trying to actually understand what the original Genesis readers were meant to hear, we will come away with an improper interpretation. I I mean, this is like fairly basic when it comes to biblical interpretation. Like there's a whole bunch of verses that people rip out of context and don't understand why it was written or who it was written to. And people have their life verse as like, I think it's Jeremiah 29, 11 is like, um, I know the plans I have for you, but in reality, the verse isn't for us at all. So it's, it's like, uh, I think it, it's a huge problem as far as Christianity is concerned, when we will take passages of the Bible and just read them as if God was writing this to us and in reality, he wasn't. I mean, he was. We can still glean truth out of it. I mean, that's not something that I'm going to say. Oh, it's completely useless to us now, but it's useful to us only when we understand how it was written and why it was written. So the context. Um, you can chip in at any point, Tyler. The context of the Bible as it was written. It was not written by God. It was written by people who proclaimed to hear God sure. over a good number of decades. Sure. So again, how can this be considered reliable at all when? their knowledge at the time was, as best we can understand, 
the knowledge at the time was limited. Yeah, um, you said it was written by men. How do we know that it's reliable? It's sort of like, is that, is that what you mean? I mean, it, it wasn't written by God. We mean, obviously, God didn't yes. come down and hang yes. out and then write it physically, but so is it was written by men. I mean, do, would you say that we currently have, like as far as our, our humanity is concerned right now, would you say that we, ha- we have all the possible knowledge? I mean, no. I, obviously you wouldn't say, you'd say no, but some of the things that we write are still reliable, right? And I think a lot of times people people will say, this can't possibly be reliable, it was written by men. But then of course, everything we read now is still written by men. Well, that, so that- I, I guess... It, that's a really, really good I point. Guess it doesn't really follow that just because something was written by men doesn't mean that it's unreliable. That's a good point. The difference here is, let's say, a science text. The men or women who write a science text are proclaiming something that we can know and that other people can replicate. The difference with the biblical text and the guys who put the Bible together, they're proclaiming information that other people couldn't possibly claim to know or experience. Are you saying, like, repeatedly? Yeah. Well, I I think that that largely, you know, there is a way we can obtain knowledge, and that's through testimony. Uh, I think it's actually part of our cognitive structure is kind of an, an inclination, a faculty, if you'd say, that accepts testimonial beliefs. And uh, if indeed it's true and we accept it through this particular faculty, then I think it, we could have knowledge of it. So I think that... So you're, you're talking about uh, anecdotal evidence, a collection of many people who experience the same thing. Uh, not necessarily. Uh, I'm talking about, say, if you're reading that Old Testament text from the ancient Near East, uh, I think that if we find ourselves believing <clears throat> it... If we have an inclination to, to accept this truth from a reliable faculty, call it a testimonial faculty, uh, then I think that it, we could know it. Uh, all sorts of beliefs come from testimony. Belief, My belief in quantum mechanics or my belief that Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. All these sorts of beliefs, most of our beliefs that we have come from testimony. A lot of people as well, though, consider that uh, they believe that they were abducted by aliens. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> I love I love this example. How much, how much credibility can we give to somebody who claims that they were abducted by aliens? Well, I, I think it, this is all conditional. Uh, so say if I'm reading the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Gospel message, whatever you want to say, and if indeed the Spirit is testifying to me, you know, if there is a God and he, His Spirit's testifying to me that this is all true, and, you know, my, my faculty that has this testimonial faculty, you know, true, then it, it would appear to me that I would have knowledge. Perhaps you wouldn't say that about the aliens, if if indeed no one was abducted by aliens, but still I found myself believing abducted them, then it wouldn't constitute as knowledge. So it, it's all conditional. If true, and I find myself believing it, there are no defeaters in my way, uh, perhaps I have defeaters for believing that aliens abducted my friend maybe he's known for these types of jokes uh so i i think i think that's the point just because there are testimonies that are false it doesn't follow that we can't accept anything on testimony uh, like i said most of our beliefs are testimonial mm. well look i was abducted by aliens just off the record <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just touch on one final point here. There's variables, so the the conditional terms. Is it possible, and I discussed this on a previous podcast, is it possible that you can hear what you want to hear? And an example I'll give of this is the debate that I went to with Lawrence Krauss and uh, William Lane Craig. I was conditioned prior to that from reading of texts and speaking with with people that I was most likely going to side with William Lane Craig. Uh, No, uh, sorry, I was most likely going to (laughs) side with Lawrence Krauss. Amen, (laughs) amen. Something you need to tell all of us here? But I gave it... Atheist podcast, sure. <laughs> I I gave it as much openness as I possibly could, and I I still didn't feel myself 
convinced by William Lane Craig at the end of the argument. I think I heard what I wanted to hear, and I understood what I wanted to understand to a degree. Is it possible that, as a theist, you experience the same thing? Sure. I mean, it's it's possible that I really just believe in God because I need some cosmic fatherly figure to keep me warm and collective in, in this dark and, and lonely world. I mean, all, all sorts of things that try to pinpoint a belief, you just believe this, you know, because of this or that, I think would commit the genetic fallacy. You can't predicate a truth value based off of a belief's origins. And so whether I believe in God because of some Freudian theory or whether I believe in God because that's just what I want to hear, it says, one, nothing about the truth value, but two, in, in, in regard to that, I mean, we can think of all sorts of ways that, in fact, God could actually bring about true belief through wanting to, to give me some type of, of desire to have a fatherly figure, and, and he uses that kind of Freudian projection to bring about knowledge of him. Or in this case that you're talking about, I'm just, you know, kind of wanting to uh, hear the Spirit's voice. And so perhaps, though, God could put that that yearning in my heart to to go ahead and come to, to knowledge in him. So that, I guess that would be kind of my comments on that. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks for sharing them. Let's play a game. Your responses have to be in 140 characters. So basically 25 words or less. <laughs> Can I just hashtag? Do it. Really long do what you've got to do if you've got to save spaces. Uh, <laughs> Elijah, 140 characters. What's your best debating tip for discussing something with an atheist? 140 characters. You don't, you don't quite have to do it <laughs> in 140 Actually, I can actually make it really simple. Understand epistemology and listen. That is wise advice. <laughs> that, that was a one-liner. For me, I mean, I'm an undergraduate right now, and I'm, I study biology, and my minor is in philosophy. And I, I can't explain to people like how incredibly important an understanding of how you know what you know or epistemology. I can't like it's it's probably one of the most important things that that's anybody who's interested in actually learning or figuring out the truth. It's it's remarkably important. But I think our, a lot of our culture and especially like random people on Twitter do not understand how, like what knowledge is. Like they'll say something, you know, knowledge. And you know, I'm I'm sure you guys probably both know this. I know Tyler does because you're basically doing a PhD thesis on epistemology, essentially. But a knowledge is traditionally understood as a justified or warranted true belief. And if if you if you have warrant. And the belief, and the and you have a belief, and it's true. It becomes knowledge, and I think a lot of people don't really get that. And I, th I think what we end up doing a lot of times is debating what the the warrant for that belief is. And so, if we just understand like how you actually come to knowledge, then I think our discussions with people can become so much easier. So I didn't mean to just hijack that and make my one-liner much more long. But <laughs> no, it was, it, was, it was good to elaborate. It was good to elaborate. But uh, cognito ergo sum. You familiar yeah. with this? Yes. What are your thoughts? That, wait, so cogito, cogito ergo sum or whatever, however that is. That's like the I think, therefore I am. Is that what that yes. is? Yeah. Um, I think, well, I don't know. There's a lot of thoughts. You can go off of that. I'm more talking I don't know where towards, to, uh, angling towards if you have a belief, then how can you know it to be true? And in the case of, say, a religion, there are kids brought up in Pakistan and their belief is that Allah is true because it's uh, right. it's it's all there indoctrinated to believe. How does the person know who is teaching them that? Well, somebody else told them, and somebody else told that person, and it's been passed down for generations and generations and generations, and just because it's it's common practice doesn't mean that it's it's accurate. So, all right, well, you... Sure. Okay, Elijah, you did... You hijacked that one. I'm throwing this one over to Tyler. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so... Um, so sure. What are your, thought, what are your thoughts on multiple one. gods? Give me 140 characters... Uh, multiple gods. 
How can it be? How, how can it be multiple gods? Is that what you said? Yeah. Is it in fact true that there are, that there are such things as multiple gods? Yes. Okay. Uh, I would say that that uh, so I'm you know I'm a Christian and even more specifically a Catholic and I would say that if again conditional the spirit the truths of the gospel the death burial and resurrection of the Son of God to reconcile the cosmos and to forgive sins if if indeed the spirit is testifying to me uh, as this belief and there's a particular testimonial mechanism and that you know is 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 at work then it would seem to me that I could come to know this particular exclusive truth and pretending to how this is way over 140 but um yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's fine finish up your point this, 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 this yeah no i'm I, I think this really gets into the problem of religious diversity right uh and i i think that this is usually kind of um what's underlying the religious diversity kind of objection is something called the equal weight theory and basically it's we, we should give equal weight uh, to individuals' beliefs and, and, and arguments if they are epistemic peers. And, uh, you know, there's not one thing that's going to go ahead and, you know, convert all the rational minds or most of the rational minds, something like that. Then we should go ahead and, and withhold belief. And and this in itself is self-defeating, as there are people who disagree with the equal weight theory, and they are epistemic peers, and there are no great arguments that will convince everyone as well. So I, I don't really see a problem in that regard with religious diversity. If, if I'm perceiving the Christian truths with a high degree of warrant, then even in light of the religious diversity, I don't see how it follows that uh, I'm no longer warranted. Take for belief in other minds, perhaps. We just believe in other minds because, again, some Freudian projection theory, it, it brings us comfort. Or perhaps there's really a evil demon monster who's tricking us. You know, there are different theories that could go ahead and explain all of the information. They, they could. Uh, the same. Having something that that is so broad, so there's three or four different ways to to come to a conclusion. Uh-huh. In a situation like that, it's almost certain that they're all wrong. Well, n- no, because uh, the other theory is that uh, perhaps there really are other minds, and uh, if, if you know, if indeed they are all, are all explaining evidence in the same way. Uh, I'm believing in other minds, and I'm still rational in doing so. And the reason why is I just, if indeed I am perceiving other minds, I have such a high warrant for this particular belief that it doesn't matter that there are other alternative beliefs uh, that could accommodate the same information or evidence. Do you see evidence for Allah in the world? As a Catholic, you know, Elijah will probably disagree with this. I, I think it's the, <laughs> it's the one God. It's this. It's the same God, though it's articulated in a wrong way. Right. So, from a broader perspective, everybody worships the same God in a different way. No, no. I, just regarding the kind of Judeo-Christian Islamic God, I think is the same God, just different articulations. I, I do believe there's one particular correct articulation, namely the Christian articulation. Can I jump in? Yeah, real go, quick? go, Elijah. Yeah, I just have something like I kind of want to clarify i think at least from my perspective um tyler was talking a lot about the like um the inner working of the holy spirit kind of a thing and i think that is a uh, it's a justification or a, a a degree of warrant i guess for for a belief that would that could potentially if true turn it into knowledge but i think when we when we rely on like solely on that um and ignore pretty much everything else then it 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 does bring up a lot of the issues like you know of mormonism <clears throat> they have the whole burning in the bosom thing and then there's you know Allah spoke to me and then you know Brahma and all of them from the Hindu tradition all that they could all have the same justification however if you get into 
like the the more testable, more uh, I don't know, I don't want to say repeatable because it's not really a scientific thing. It's more of a philosophical thing. Truth claims of specific religions, um, you those tests for specific truth claims um, can act as defeaters for an inner testimony. So, for example, um, if somebody said they had an inner testimony that was uh, confirming to them that Hinduism was was true, and then they look at the teachings of Hinduism. And then it turns out that there are some internal contradictions of some kind that make it so that Hinduism cannot possibly be false. Mm. I mean, cannot possibly be true. That would act as a defeater to the yeah. to the the inner belief that you know that they are being spoken to by Brahma. And I think when it comes to the problem of uh, religious diversity, it's it, it pretty much gets into you know I, I don't want to say it's only a problem of religious diversity. It could be a problem of political diversity or whatever. Is people are looking specifically at certain sets of beliefs, and I think everybody does this: theists, atheists, you know, non-theists, agnostics. Everybody does this. We look at specific bits of evidence that support it, and because we have this this big group of beliefs, we we have to kind of fit these other things in there somewhere. I think. Uh, Epistemologists call it uh, reflective equilibrium, where they kind of will will try to take new information and stick it into our worldview somewhere. And if there's enough new information that makes it so that we have to adjust everything, that's when people go from one major worldview, I get you know theism, and then they have all these defeaters for what for their specific understanding of theism, and then because of that, they go to atheism, or vice versa. Right. And if I, if I can say as well, in fact, that's part of my dissertation, is demonstrating what, what Elijah uh, just stated, which basically, if, if Alvin Plantica's view of warrant is correct, then a key part of that, of, of warrant, is having cognitive faculties that aim towards truth, producing true beliefs, uh, proper functioning, having faculties that, that function in the way that they were meant to function. And uh, we look at Hinduism, um, say the there's both dualistic schools and, and monistic schools. Uh, well, the monistic schools, all is the impersonal, and all uh, we have Maya, you know, illusion. Uh, speaking of Shankara's um, view of philosophical Hinduism, particularly. And so we see that our faculties are named towards truth. And I, I don't think if you're going to have all reality, a ability to make intelligible uh, proper function. And so I, I think you can do this with lots of world religions, Buddhism, you know, the Mahayana Buddhism, the Middle Way School. I, I think Taoism, plethoras uh, of, of religions actually articulate that our faculties are named towards truth and that uh, there is not a, a personal God. So though there are lots of religions, I, I think in reality, uh, the list is shrinks a lot when we're talking about personal gods, a personal god who has aimed towards true beliefs. So I, I wanted to add, add, add on to, to what Elijah was saying there. A couple more questions, and we're going to keep these ones within the 140-character limit. <laughs> um, what is the most annoying thing you encounter when debating an atheist? Go, Elijah. Well, like, like the last tweet I had, uh, understand epistemology and listen. Mm-hmm. The most annoying thing is not understanding epistemology and not listening. Thank you very much. So, so guys, annoying. listen to Elijah. He speaks wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And Tyler. Yeah, uh, I would say, I don't know if this is the most annoying, but the one that comes to mind is just not, not, not examining the evidence. You know, are already having an argument to say before that uh, before the other person even finishes his thought. Or... unapologetics. What would you say? <laughs> Presuppositional unapologetics. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So yeah, that, I guess exactly. that, that would be my main, cool. my, one of my main... What, but what about a theist? What's the most annoying thing that theists do? Where do they go wrong? <laughs> oh, yes. <boy>. Blind faith. <laughs> Blind faith. Okay, Elijah's nailed it oh, in two words. <laughs> Tyler? Creating false dichotomies. Right. Especially regarding religion and science. Mm. Yeah. Wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. That seems like a, a really good time to begin to wind up. So I'll just ask you, is there anything else you'd like to add or touch upon that you didn't get off your chest, Elijah? The one, there was a really interesting thing that I was listening to. Um, you know who John Lennox, you know him? Uh, is he a short, portly gentleman? <laughs> yeah, kind of um, looks like Santa Claus. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, he, he was, uh, he had something that he, he said. I went to a conference a while back. Actually, it was, I think the conference was called um, Science and Religion or something like that. And his, one thing that really kind of like stuck out for me as far as something that makes makes it easier for me to understand, makes it easier for I think a lot of people to understand this relationship between science and religion, is he, he told the story of um, Napoleon talking to uh, Laplace. And Laplace had, um, he had just come up, I, I think it was something with ballistics. It was like a, a, an engineering um, scientific hypothesis or something like that. And Napoleon asked him, where is God in all of this? And Laplace responded, I have no need of that hypothesis. And of course, he was right. In ballistics, he didn't need God. And what, uh, what John Lennox said is, he said, if I am explaining how a projectile moves in parabolic orbit in a vacuum under gravity, I don't mention God either. But if I were asked, or if Laplace had been asked, why is there a universe at all? He, might have come to a, he may have had to mention God, mightn't he? He was answering the right question with the right answer. As to its relevance to the existence of God, of course, it has none. I would, and I so would be, I think. But yeah, see, I'd beg to I'd beg to differ on that one. I'd say <laughs> a perfectly reasonable answer is I don't know. A reasonable answer to what? What is the origin of the universe? I, see, I, oh, I wouldn't yeah, leave well, it to God. I, I love being able to say I don't know. Well, yeah, trust me, I'm a big fan of that too. Being a uh, biology student, I love if my teachers allow me to say I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, I think the this get back to what we first started talking about is uh, an understanding of God not being a God of the gaps, but a God of basically the whole thing. I mean, we don't we don't put you, we don't just put God in somewhere and say this is where God goes because we don't understand what happens now. It's a God fits here. Um, because there are really good reasons to think so. Like, I mean, regardless of whether or not you agree with the Kalam or the Leibnizian cosmological arguments, those both talk about the origin of the universe in one way or another. I think Leibniz says, "Why is there anything? Why is there something rather than nothing?" Mm. And both of those make positive arguments for the existence of God from the evidence. I'd, and I'd, whether or not they <laughs> go through is a different story. I'd have to argue just really quickly because I did go and see Krauss and Craig do a debate on life, the universe, and nothing. Mm-hmm. Craig busted out the argument on point two. Oh, it was, it was, it's in the previous podcast. We elaborate on it fully, episode 14. Craig says um, everything has a creator. Everything created... Oh, everything that begins to... Everything that begins to exist has a cause. Yeah, everything that has a everything that exists has a creator. Anyway, by by point two, he jumped straight to God. You're talking about everything that exists has an explanation for its existence, yes. either out of the necessity oh, of its that, own that, nature or yes, an external yes, cause. Yes, yes, if yes. the universe had an explanation, it'd be gone. Yeah. I didn't. I couldn't agree with it when he displayed that up on the projector, and a lot of the people in the audience couldn't agree with it either. Well, he, he, he right. doesn't just yeah, leave I, it I, there. No. He, he explains why that would be, you know, the, the external cause of space and time would have to be spaceless and timeless and so on. Mm. Well, look, we won't get too far into it now. I think. Yeah, I guess uh, my... We, I, I did cover it off in a previous, uh, in episode 14, which is up. I was just saying that I guess my point is not not necessarily that these arguments go through. Like, it could be 
could be the fact that none of the cosmological arguments go through. It could be that there, you know, the evidence isn't there to support either premise or something like that. But the the point that I'm trying to make is that we don't just say I don't know, therefore God. That's I mean, I think I don't know of any reasonable person who would actually say that. We, you know, they just say, well, well, it's too complicated for me to explain, so God must have done it. I mean, I could have said that about photosynthesis back when I first took my biology class, but that's not how it works. You have to have a a positive reason to think that God exists. You know what I mean? It's not just a, you know a big question mark equals God. It's a well, you know a series the... of statements equals therefore God exists. Well, that's what I'm on a quest to find. <laughs> <laughs> right, and I think we're all on the same quest, right? That sounds like a good place to, to tidy up, guys. Is there anything else you'd like to yeah. plug? Yes, if I may, kind of my, my last closing remarks, I'll be, I'll yes, be fairly certainly. quick. <laughs> I, I think that there isn't a conflict within religion and science kind of as, as kind of how we started the conversation, uh, at least regarding theistic religion. I, I do, however, think there is a conflict with naturalism uh, and science, and uh, that is similar to how I was saying that other world religions can't account for warrant, can't account for the particular preconditions for warrant. Naturalism, our faculties aren't aimed towards truth, but rather producing beliefs that enable survival and reproduction. Uh, as Patricia Churchland has uh, the four Fs, fighting, fleeing, feeding, and um, reproducing. Making love. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so uh, if our faculties are, are aimed towards that, there's lots of beliefs that could enable survival and reproduction that, that don't have to be true. And therefore, like upon religion. reflection, we, we, we have no reason to, to really trust our faculties or, or that which is produced from it, including scientific endeavors. And so that's that. That would be kind of my closing statement: is that uh, I, I think more theists and atheists should talk more about if, if that holds or not, rather than the other way around. Well, I think we hold <laughs> dipolar positions on that. <laughs> <laughs> so, is there are there any projects that you're working on that you'd like to provide a link to? Uh, actually, Elijah and I just we did a, a blog post responding to Ray Comfort's video that he put out that thirty-seven, thirty-eight minute video of God or evolution versus no, no, God. No, it, it was a it was a film. It wasn't yes. a video. Yes. Uh, well, mm. it, in America, that's the same. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, warrantedreligion.wordpress.com. It's also up on Elijah's uh, hashtags blog, but uh, essentially it's just our, us responding to, to Ray Comfort's videos as Christians. Warrantedreligion.wordpress.com uh, is our Christian response to Ray Comfort's film that we feel is deeply philosophically and scientifically flawed. Yes, it's available on Betamax at a service station near you. And Elijah? Yeah, uh, well, like like uh, Tyler said, my, my blog, and well, it's not just mine, it's a few of ours, it's uh, hashtag apologetics.wordpress.com, and we publish the same thing over there. That's actually one of the only ones that I got pretty much only positive feedback from. A lot of silence, I guess, from the more, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say like anti-scientific, but more non-scientific theists a lot of silence from them they were like well yeah okay that was kind of nice but whatever which i mean the the goal of the post was not to defend darwinian evolution i'm actually as of right now i'm theologically open to it but i am a little bit skeptical of it scientifically so my my goal was to just say that once you properly understand darwinian evolution it does not fall to the the questions that like great comfort seems to think it does um, but yeah, that's as far as anything that I'm working on. That's that was the, the latest thing that we were working on. There's pretty much always things going up over at my blog. So I mean, if people want to comment, we feel free because that's what the that's what the blog is there for. You're very approachable. 
I found you to be very approachable on Twitter. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. All right, guys. Well, thank you for coming on The Herd Mentality. My pleasure. Thank you for having us on. No doubt. I'll speak to you on Twitter. Sounds good. Thank you. about what it's like to be Dr. Dave Hawks. Hi, my name's Dr. Dave Hawks and I was listening to The Herd Mentality the other day when I heard Adam say, why don't we all call ourselves doctor? And it raised a really interesting point. I mean, when I'm going around Twitter and I see someone with the title doctor or even with a PhD after their name, even if it's not conscious, there's certainly that element of, well, this person probably knows what they're talking about or at least knows how to research but i thought i'd go through a couple of different types of doctors so the ones we're most familiar with is a phd which is what i've got it's a basic degree of about three years about one to two years of graduate work and then a phd of three to four years so about seven to nine years before you you know call yourself doctor with a phd then there's the medical doctor that takes about six to seven years of your basic degree and that's the point at which you can use doctor but to become actually a gp someone to actually practice as a medical doctor it's about 11 years and if you become a specialist like a surgeon or a neurologist it's over 12 years there's also other kinds of doctors there's osteopaths chiropractors vets dentists naturopaths even homeopaths call themselves doctors so to become a homeopath is about four years so really the same as any degree but they hijack the title doctor uh Joseph Marola, or at Dr. Marola, is probably one of the most well-known uh, non-traditional doctors, and he's got a, a naturopathic doctorate, which is essentially he's done a basic degree of three years and then a four-year grad program. First two years are actual science, then the last two years are things like homeopathy and acupuncture and hydrotherapy. Uh, chiropractors are another one. It's about five years, five to seven years, depending which country you're in. But at the end of sort of five years in Australia, a chiropractor can go out and practice as a doctor compared with near, over double that, 11 years for a medical doctor. So they don't have anywhere near as much experience or qualifications at that initial stage. I thought I'd just deal with a couple of you know, doctors you may have come across and sort of have a look at their qualifications. So I'll focus mostly on evolutions, though, just because they're the ones I've got most experience with. So you've got Dwayne Gish, the man who gave us the Gish Gallop, and he actually has a PhD in biochemistry, which he got in 1953, which is also the year we discovered DNA. So he does have a legitimate PhD, but it was just awarded a very long time ago. Um, and Deepak Chopra. Deepak Comfort, masters of the that pause was for Adam to put his little sting in because I'm legally obliged to mention Deepak Chopra. Deepak Comfort, Masters of the Universe. He's actually a medical doctor and he was first licensed in 1973 in Massachusetts. So again, it's a legitimate, legitimate uh, use of the word doctor. Then we get into some more interesting ones. Like We've got Ken Ham and he has an honorary doctorate and that just means that a university is awarding him an honorary doctorate. He hasn't had to do anything. And to give you an idea of how prestigious these are, I think Kylie Minogue has one and Jeremy Clarkson has three. Then probably the best example of the misuse of the phrase doctor is Dr. Ken Hoven. 
So he has a PhD, but it's from a diploma mill, which is essentially a university where you pay a certain amount of money and within a year or two you'll have a PhD. Um, the university doesn't make his PhD available, and he certainly hasn't, but WikiLeaks got hold of it, and when people looked at it, they said it's low quality, there's missing references, it's just it's not really at a PhD standard. But he's very proud of it, so proud. Apparently he uses the title doctor when he registers his own phone book. The final point is whether someone's got a doctorate whether they've got an MD, whether they've got an ND, none of this really matters because I have a PhD in molecular virology and I feel comfortable talking about viruses and a few other things. But if I was to, say, talk about archaeology, my my doctorate doesn't make me an expert in that. And you can't have this sort of... Once you get a PhD, it doesn't mean you're a doctor of everything. And there's there's a famous anti-vaxxer in Australia called Dr Vera Schreiber who talks about, you know, medical issues and stuff. And she actually got her PhD in micropaleontologist in the old Eastern Europe. So it's about trying to use her qualifications to support her argument. And on that point is no matter what their qualification is, if they're not going to support their argument with evidence, then they're trying to use the logical fallacy argument from authority. Cheers. Thanks, Dave, for sending that in. Please take a moment to check out HerdMentalityPodcast.com and in particular the support page. At Dominic VFX put a lot of work into making a great site, so please send him a few dollars for his efforts. If you're an awesome human being, sign up to the $2 tithing and help support the show. If you're rich, swing me $5 a month and I'll provide bonus afterlife insurance. Thanks for listening and have a wonderful life.